what a powerful time of praise and worship this morning. If you're in grade six or you're younger, you're dismissed to go to City Kids. And uh, Pastor Tanya's going to lead you this morning. They're doing some great stuff in kids' ministry if you've never been a part of it, if you haven't seen it. In uh, kids' ministries, they're working on a journey of faith. And they're using like Lego or Minecraft kind of stuff. If you get a chance, parents, go and have a look at some of the work that your kids are doing in uh, City Kids. So that's in room four, right in the back on your left. Go and check it out. Well, it's my honor this morning to bring the word. And I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua and chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. And uh, if you've been tracking along with us, you'd know that I've been preaching through a series on the book of Joshua, pretty much going chapter by chapter. Uh, If there was some repetition, I'd, I'd skip a little bit, but we're keeping the heart of what's in that book. And so I want you to follow with me because this is the last chapter in the book of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 24, we're just going to read a portion of it this morning. But if you've got your Bibles open, some of you didn't bring your Bibles. I don't tend to. I bring my phone. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so we've got some mighty men and women of God that, that do bring the Bible. So for convenience sake, I tend to use digital stuff and I get it. So if you want to grab your phone, you can pull it out. Okay, I'll give you this permission. You're allowed to pull the phone out. Open up your web browser. Go to Joshua 24, 14 to 24. Follow with me in your Bibles. I'm reading from the NIV version. Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Look at that word. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, We will serve the Lord. Some of you families need to highlight this in your Bible. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can I tell you, there's a war on families. It's been waged for quite a while in our Western civilization. It's gotten so bad to this point that you've got kids who are divorcing families. There are husbands divorcing wives, wives divorcing husbands. It's a messy system. And you cannot build a community, you cannot build a nation while there is division happening in the families. This word is a word not just for then, it's a word for now. I'm getting right into preaching, you feel it, I feel the presence of God. Keep moving on, verse 16, I just want to give you context. So he makes this incredible statement, here's the response of the people. The people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve another or other gods. It was the Lord our God who himself brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all, the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land, 
We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Listen to this response from Joshua. When a leader hears that, people say, no, we're going to serve God. We're going to serve God, pastor. We're going to go for it. Pastor's like, yeah, that's really great. He didn't do that. Look at, look at his response. He says to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. Yes, we are. You are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you, and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Father, I pray that your word will come thick and fast. I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would minister this message. Let it not be the words of a man. Father, I bow and humble myself before you. You speak, Lord. You, you talk. You minister to your people, Father. I pray you set captives free. I pray for those in addiction, set them free. I pray for those who are teetering on the edge of faithlessness. Father God, rescue them this morning. I pray for an impartation of power to be released, that your people will become powerful in word and in deed. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You cannot hear a word like this and think to yourself, it's nothing. It's just another message. When God is speaking so clearly, there's this clarion call of God where you see this man, Joshua, at the end of his life. And these are the last recorded words of Joshua in the book of Joshua. So if you put it in a bit of context, the last words the dying person speaks has been considered over their entire existence. He could have said anything. He could have said, you know what? You guys did good. I'm proud of you. He didn't say that. He didn't say, we did some amazing things in battle, didn't we? We're champions. You're yeah, champions. He didn't say that. Instead, he's considering what is the most important thing. So there's a lot of weight behind the words that Joshua is preaching. It's his last thoughts. It's going to ring through generations because they'll talk about these last words. Do you remember when Joshua spoke those last words? That's what they'll remember. Not just the deeds in the past. It's what he said last. And he addresses two things that I, I feel that Holy Spirit wants to drive home into our hearts, okay? Two things that every follower of God needs if they are to fully commit to him. If you're looking at a message title, it's, are you committed? To the person next to you and tell them, you should be committed. To God, not to the mental hospital. You should be committed. <laughs> Here's two things that he says. Are you ready? It's really easy. I'm going to unpack this. Two things only. Number one, he said, fear God. Write that down. Some of you got to write it in the collar of the person in front of you. Just say, it's okay, pastor said, it's fine. Go ahead, write that down. Fear God. The second one is serve God. 
I think, I don't know what it is that we are missing in the church today when we preach. Something is missed because we want to preach messages that will encourage and exhort the church. You can, but you've got to be able to deliver the whole gospel. You can't do some of it and say, you know, no, no, matter, what, no matter what you do, God loves you. He'll forgive you. It's all good. It's all good. It's not all good. It's not all good. We are required in this covenant relationship with God to deliver on some things. That's what we call the law. They didn't necessarily call it the law. They ended up referring it to as that, but it was a covenant that God made with his people. He's saying, you are chosen by me. You are a special people among all the other nations of the world that if you follow these things that I'm going to set before you, you follow these rules and regulations, it's going to go well with you. I mean, you are going to multiply your finances. You're going to multiply generations. Your business is going to multiply. Everything is going to be overflowing. I'm a prosperity preacher, not like you think it is. You know, prosperity preachers, send me $100 and God's going to give you $1,000. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Word of God tells you that God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. Some of you, I don't know like what you're like. I'm speaking to teenagers right now, the young adults. When I was a young man, I had this, I don't know, I think you all, you'll understand this, a check in my heart. I'm like, I don't want to fully commit my ways to God because if I do, I can't have a bit of fun. Anyone, anyone relate to that, right? Some of the adults thinking, well, that's actually me, Pastor, you're preaching to me. When I was a young adult, that's what I was thinking, that I can't have fun now that I'm a Christian, but that's just rubbish. It's not true. God has so much for you, and that if you follow his precepts, his laws, he's saying, do this, don't do that. He's trying to warn you, saying, look, I made you. I carved you. I knew what you were going to say. I knew what you are going to do. I imparted giftings into your life before I even created the world. Before you were an itch in your daddy's pants, I knew you, God says. Some of the older ones like, yeah, I understand what I'm talking about. The young ones are like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. That's okay, you shouldn't get it. That's, that's, that's fine. You know, have the talk first. God knows you. He knows you. What that word knows means is it's more than he knows of you. He knows you so intimately. He knows every thought that comes from your mind. And God's thoughts are for you to be prospering, to be successful, to be living in peace. Like there may be storms in the world around you, but he's saying for his people, he promises rest. He promises, it's the word shalom, peace, nothing missing, peace, despite the storms, peace. And there's two things that we need to do. One, fear God, two, serve God. Here's the thing I want you to write down, a thought. Inherent in every commitment is choice. There's a saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him. But I'm hoping today to make you thirsty. If I can make you thirsty, you'll go after that water. <sighs> My goodness. If Israel was to truly inherit their promises, they needed to commit to God completely and totally. And these are the two measurements of commitment. You ready? Fear God and serving God. See, a lot of times 
people, they don't want to fear God. Let me, let me go to the first one, okay? Why fear? I find over the years I've had conversations with people, and they, they don't understand that word. You know, Pastor Paul, I don't get it. Why do we need to fear God? Why is that important? Doesn't God love us? So why do we have to fear God? Usually, it's to do with a misunderstanding of the fear of God. You can't take the word by itself, fear. The fear of God. It has to come together in one. And what the writers are trying to convey through this, the fear of God, is this. It is talking about a holy reverence. A holy reverence before God. Because if you get the fear of God, it will change your behavior it will change your lifestyle. It will change and affect the way you think and the way that you act. That's why he, said, he starts with fear God. Then he says serve him. What? Fear. If you don't get that, you're not going to serve. This is the battle that many people are still struggling with. They don't fear God. They want Jesus as Savior, but they don't want Jesus as Lord. They still want to do what they want to do. I, I was like that. I get this. But God is looking for complete and total surrender. So he's saying fear. But what happens is people have a misunderstanding. When they see that word fear God, they're thinking, why, why do I need to be terrified of God? No, not terrified of God. Maybe you came out of an abusive relationship. Maybe you're, you were raised by an abusive father, abusive parents. I had an abusive growing up myself, so I get it. And so it's difficult to understand this, to submit to God that you would fear him. But as a father on this side of the timeline and understanding my love for God extends to my love for kids, I get it. I get it now. It's talking about a relationship between a father and his kids. If my kids didn't fear me, I mean a healthy fear. That's good. Yeah, they won't listen to me. If they think I'm just the jokester dad that just wants to have fun kind of dad, when I have to have a difficult conversation because I think, oh my goodness, I see the train coming, and if they don't get off the tracks, they're going to be destroyed, and I'm trying to warn them, but if they don't fear what I'm saying, they're not going to listen. And so God is trying to teach his people, if you can't get this concept right at the beginning, it begins with fear. Here's the key thing I want you to understand. The fear of God is based on relationship, not on rules. You get this? He's not telling you because I want you to follow rules. No, he's trying to say, I'm your dad. And I've got to be able to help you on that journey because if I don't get you off that train track, you are headed for disaster. And I'm trying to give you life, and I want to give you life abundantly. I want you to enjoy the life you have, but if you stay on the journey that you're going, the train is going to run you over. I was saying to my students this week, you know, we're getting halfway through. I've been teaching Certificate 3 in ministry and theology. They're almost at the end. I said, hey, guys, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. If you've been keeping up with all your assessments and tasks, you can see light at the end of the tunnel. It's almost over. But for those of you who haven't done what you're supposed to be doing, that light is a train coming. Get out of the tunnel as fast as you can. Joshua has to say this twice in the passage we read. This is the thing that is alarming in this passage. Joshua tells them, 
after leading them for over 80 years. He says to them, throw away the gods of your ancestors. Now you might think that was just a throwaway line. I need you to focus in for a minute. Joshua has been leading them prior to that Moses, but Joshua's had them for over 80 years as a general and then as an overall leader of Israel. And they saw before their own eyes miracle after miracle as God delivered them. The Tower of Jericho, it was it shouldn't have happened. A tower should not be able to be destroyed by simply marching around and shouting a few words, praise to God, yet it was enough to crush a wall and they destroyed them. There was battle after battle where God stepped in miraculously and they saw these things and Joshua's telling them, get yourselves ready. Be ready because we're going to battle. Get your heart right before God and they would in that moment. But what we're discovering here is that they were holding on to ancestral idols. They were still worshiping idols this whole time when Joshua's leading them. And he's saying, God, Jehovah, well, I've got to use that word because even Buddhists and Hindus and all, they, they call their gods God, like we do. Yahweh, or Jehovah, is our God. He has a name. And he's saying, follow me. Fully commit your ways to me. I will deliver you. And they did, and they were delivered, but they were still worshiping idols. And that's why the final words of Joshua really, really mattered. He's saying, if you cannot get this, if you're going to continue to worship your ancestral idols, it will destroy you. Yet we do it all the time. We're caught up in these cycles, this dysfunction in our lives. We grew up a particular way. Our fathers taught us how to live one way. Perhaps they had a problem with drinking, right? Your grandfather had a problem with drinking. Trace it all the way down. They all had problems with drinking. Now it's come to you. Until you get delivered of that, that is an idol in your life. We've got to break down the idols. And yet, despite seeing all these miracles, the people of Israel were still holding on to them. And so Joshua is saying, if you want to see success in your life, understand the fear of God is so powerful and much needed. In a book written by C.S. Lewis, it's a series called the Chronicles of Narnia. The very first book, the lion, well, the book that I'm going to refer to, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. It's the first one I read out of the series. There are two characters in there, Lucy and then there's this other character called Tumnus. Tumnus lived in the land of Narnia. Lucy comes from our world, and there's this incredible portal they go through, a wardrobe, where they go into whole new worlds. I mean, I always wanted that as a kid. Crawl into the cupboard and, ex and explore new worlds. And this is that story. She's exploring this world. She meets this guy, and everyone is hush-hush when they hear the name Aslan. By the way, it's Turkish for lion, Aslan. And so she's hearing about Aslan. Aslan does these amazing things. Everyone respects Aslan, but he hasn't been on the scene for some time. And there was a prophecy about these humans that will come, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve that will come. And so she is one of the, pro the prophecies being fulfilled. And so she comes to Tumnus and she asks this question, which is really powerful and undergirds the storyline. She says this, is Aslan safe? And the comment and the reply of Tumnus is very interesting. He says, no, Aslan is not safe, but he's good. 
Some of you are looking for a safe God. <laughs> Jesus is not safe. Following God is not safe. If you've been a Christian, wholly committed your life to the Lord, and you're saying, whatever you want me to do, God, I will do it. You will recognize, like I have, oh, my goodness, it's a scary place to be. Everywhere I turn, God says, go talk to that person. I don't want to talk to that person. I'm going to be embarrassed. What if they say no? We're thinking of all these things. What if I feel rejected? God says, go, and I'm terrified, and you have to do it. Following God, when you fear God, he says, do this. It's the craziest thing because you are stretched beyond capacity. No, he's not safe, but he's good. Yet today we focus so much on Jesus, the Lamb of God, best buddy and pal, my BFF, that we've lost respect and the fear of God. Because if you fear, if you have the fear of God, it will affect your actions and behavior. And yet, you probably know someone who swears, a Christian that will swear using the name of God, using Christ's name. You've probably seen your brothers and sisters in the Lord posting on social media, and they're using swear words. And you're thinking, wow. The Bible says, you know, if there's a real change here, right, it should be clean inside. Clean water should come out of your mouth. How can clean and dirty water come out of the same mouth and say that I'm actually a Christian, I follow? It can't be. It can't be. You're either one or the other. And God's saying, this is the thing. It is decision time. It's about commitment to God. The Bible tells us that this same Christ, this Lamb of God, the next time you and I see him, he won't come as Lamb. He's going to come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will come to judge every living creature. We will stand before the throne room of heaven. The Bible tells us, Jesus himself said this, Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We don't preach about hell anymore. It's real, I'm trying to tell you. We're reaching end days, end times. We're fast approaching those days where Jesus said he will return. There have been signs of the coming of the Lord and the church is asleep. It's like, oh my goodness, it's been prophesied that that would happen, but we're still asleep. The Bible says, gather together, especially in the last days, and yet that's the thing we don't do. The Bible says, be watchful and pray and yet we don't do these things. Here's the second key thing, Paul, that Joshua says. So fear God establishes the relationship with God. So we know who he is, and we know who, who we are. We know this, God is good. I fear him. It's healthy, healthy respect. But he does that because he wants to protect me. He wants me to have a great life. And the second thing here, some people stop here. They fear God, good. But they don't do the next bit. That's why Joshua needed to indicate both. So the next thing he says is, serve God. Israel had divided loyalties. When they were in trouble, they called on God. They served God. But, they, but when they were at rest, they served their idols. And Joshua seeing this interplay constantly. And he's saying, if I have one final word to give, it's this. Fear God and serve him only. Fear God and serve God. You've got to serve somebody. See, the thing is, we are designed to serve. I don't know if you know this. We think we're all masters of our fate. You're not. You make decisions and you serve something else. Some of you, 
You, you serve your career. But you cannot serve career and serve God. You cannot choose materialism and serve God. you got to do one or the other. You can choose materialism, the stuff that we want all the time, or you choose God. You can choose money, or you can choose a pursuit of money, or you choose God. You can choose alcohol, or you can choose God. You can choose drugs. You can choose smokes, or you can choose God. That's what you turn to when things get tough. That's your Lord. When things are troubling you, where do you turn to? Where do you run? You can choose to please your flesh. You can choose to meet every desire, every need, or you can choose God. Don't waver in your faith. Choose God. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Not some of his ways, all his ways. Not trustworthy. Can't count on them. There's no loyalty at all. And God's saying, this is what this passage is all about. Are you committed? If you're committed to God, then it has to be 100%. Otherwise, he's saying, choose something else. So here's what Joshua does. He's trying to get them to understand because before you choose, let me tell you what God did for you. And he begins to recount at the beginning of the passages we didn't read. He says in verse 3, I took your father Abraham and gave him many descendants. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron and I brought you out. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites. They fought against you, but I destroyed them for you. And you took possession of the land. Verse 12, I sent the hornet ahead of you. I, I love this passage here. It just boggles my mind. God sends wicked bees. That's what hornets are. They're mean, spirited bees. He sent them to drive people out of a land. Let me tell you, if God can send hornets to cause a whole you know, nation of people to leave, he can certainly look after your needs. Come on, you need to praise the Lord with that one. In verse 13, he says, I gave you a land, a land of promise, and here you are. And notice a pattern. Let me put this together for you. There's this pattern that we see in the New Testament. We get it. We understand we are saved by grace. Okay? Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, you didn't deserve it. You did nothing to deserve it. He just gave it to you. But let's put this together. By grace, God saves his people from very dire circumstances. They are in bitter slavery in Egypt. Did, did they earn the right to be saved? No. Were they more special than any other nation in the world? No. Were they more righteous than any other nation in the world? No. <laughs> Not at all. They're worshiping the same gods Egypt did. But he takes them by grace out of this land, he decides, I am going to rescue them. I made a promise, I'm going to deliver. And he brings them out of a place of hopelessness into a place of promise. And only God can do that. He takes you out of a kingdom of darkness and brings you into a kingdom of light. Some of you are still trying to work your way out of a kingdom of darkness. We're stuck in this place. I'm stuck in addictions. I'm stuck in addictive behavior. I'm stuck in the secret sin. I can't seem to get out of it. You, you're right. You can't get out of it. Only God can take you out of a kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And then Joshua directs them, okay, you were serving Egypt. Now I want you to serve God because you, you are built to serve 
But you cannot serve two masters. And so in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 to 30, this is how Jesus talks about it. He says, in the area of serving, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the thing is, you need to understand the concept. It seems like a paradox. God is saying, you're tired. You've been lifting so much. I get the burdens that you've been going through. I get the hardship. Let me give you rest. Come and follow me. And yet he's saying, I'm going to give you burden too. Isn't that what it says? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Well, hang on a second. If you put a yoke on, you're working. So how can I be resting? It feels like a paradox, but it isn't. What God is saying is, you're going to take my weight, and it's way different. You're going to see the world in a whole new way. And that stuff that used to keep you down, it's going to be lifted from off you because I'm carrying it with you. That's the difference. When you're on your own, when you're in the world, you're constantly wearing these things. It's so difficult. It's hopeless. There's no way out. And God's saying, but I want you to serve me. Because what I have for you is light. You're still going to have to serve. Okay, you choose who you serve. I remember there was a song by Bob Dylan. I was still a, a kid at the time. Some of you remember this. Do you remember this one? You Gotta Serve Somebody by Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was this... Uh, rock and roll artist. He was a pop star back in his day. He wrote songs. Everybody would sing. It was incredible. And he wrote the song after he became a Christian, radically saved. And I think he went back into the world. He was stuck in alcohol. But at that time, when there was this light in his life, he wrote these words. This is from the second verse. He goes, you might be a rock and roll addict, Prancing on the stage, money, drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief that you may that may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you gotta serve somebody. Yes, you are. You gotta serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. That's a message in itself, but so many struggle with this understanding. If you've been feeling dry in your walk with God, if you've been feeling apathetic, apathy means you just, I don't feel anything anymore, and you feel stuck in your faith, Perhaps you've just been going in circles over and over. You're wondering, I know I've always felt there's something else God has for me. There's another level. There is. But to keep your spiritual fervor, it's found, uh, let me read this to you. Romans 12, 11. Paul the Apostle writes, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. What's fervor? Fervor is this intense emotional feeling, this thing that drives you, that drives your belief system. Paul is saying to keep your spiritual fervor, you have to serve the Lord. 
You can't just attend. You can't just have a faith, a mental ascent to serve God. You literally have to serve God. Because if you're not serving God, you are serving something else. And so Joshua makes these powerful and astounding words. He says in verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, and, and Joshua, he says, he did this for you, did that, he did that, he did that. He made things easy for you. He took you from this place of safely, put you in this place of light. He gave you hope. He gave you a future. If that's not good enough for you, he says, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You notice the words. He's not saying choose next year, choose sometime in the future. He's saying choose this day. Today is the day when you need to choose whether you will serve the God of your forefathers. Okay? Serving God, Yahweh. Or if you want to serve the gods of Egypt or some other gods, but you're going to serve something. Choose this day whom you will serve. But look at these words. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We've got to, come on, you guys are quiet this morning. We need to choose within ourselves and parents, I'm speaking to you. As for me, as for you. And your household, we will serve the Lord. No one can choose for you. This is a key thing to understand. And it's a powerful thought. Your indifference to God is a choice that you made. Someone needs to write that down. Joshua has to use reverse psychology then. You don't deserve to heaven. You can't serve. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. But he's trying to understand trying to get them to understand a very powerful concept. Someone needs to write this one down. Your outcome is determined by your choice. Some of us, we think, oh, I'm just victims. Oh, it's just so unfair. These things happen to me. It's not fair. How come they've got it good and I have it so bad? Can you pray for me, Pastor? I can pray for you, but what are you doing about it? What about your choices that you made? One of the things that inspires me the most about Live City Church, we've got some people that have been listening to the preaching over the years that I've had. They hated their job. They felt it was a dead-end job. And I said, reinvent yourself. Go and study. Do something different. Take up an apprenticeship. And I see people around the church that have reinvented themselves. I'm moved by people like Chris. She's not here today. Chris Wareham. What is she? 50-something years old. And she decides, I don't like what I'm doing. And so she goes back and studies, and now she's a teacher's aide. I think that's fantastic. We've got Ben Young who decides, I don't like the job that I have. You know, it just feels like I just got to take whatever. I, I'm the tail, not the head. He decides, I'm going to become an engineer. I'm going to study, like, just like that. And he's doing it. Reinvent yourself. It's a choice that you make. You choose to serve God or you don't. You're not a victim here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not a victim. Turn to the other person at you and say, you got a choice. What will it be? Why is it we are constantly thinking to ourselves, I guess, you know, this is my lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's my life. No, it's not. You get to choose. But here's the thing I want you to understand. If you don't choose, that too is a choice 
that you have made. I'm going to ask if Katie can come forward, and I'll get you guys to stand to your feet. The musicians can come on stage, please. Can we stand to our feet as we honor the Lord this morning? God is making such a very clear statement here this morning. You have to make a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve.